Dennis Stewart. Great to be back together with you again. And today we are looking at a recent decision which has uh, meant that uh, the rebate on consultation fees with her- for herbalists and naturopaths has been removed. Yes, Jane, that's uh, an issue. It uh, has taken effect as from this month and is the result of deliberations at the government level on the uh, private health funds, if you like, and uh, investigation into what was called complementary therapies determined that uh, a number of them, including uh, herbal medicine and naturopathy, uh, were no longer eligible for reasons uh, that we'll not go into, but essentially that uh, they were not capable of sustaining, I suspect, or in my opinion, uh, some of the rigorous requirements that uh, the government bodies, investigative bodies, uh, put on the complementary therapies. Uh, I have an opinion on that which I'd love to share with listeners because I think this move was, was unfair. That's my opinion. So that's where we're going to start with. Well, we'll start with that. We'll toss things around and see where we go. Starting off with talking about rebates Mm, for consultations mm, being removed. Quite recently, yeah? It's only recent. It started this month. And just to bring listeners up to speed, um, for many years, a majority of complementary therapists have uh, had an arrangement with uh, private health funds such that those uh, members of private health funds that paid uh, for ancillary benefits were able to receive a rebate, or I call it a refund, on their consultation fees when they uh, saw people such as myself and others that practised complementary medicine. I believe that has worked <clears throat> very well. It was something that didn't exist when I first started practice 40 years ago. In fact, in a, in a signboard that's still on my desk at, at New Lambton, I uh, have not changed the the uh, the sentence which said that refunds uh, from health funds are generally not available. That tells you what it was like 40 years ago. So it, it's something that uh, came into being a number of years ago. I welcomed it, but I'm one of those that uh, feel that, um, OK, um, it, it's not as big an issue as some would have made it. I'm more concerned about the decision that led to the curtailment of rebates, the insinuation that uh, many complementary therapies were not valid, that couldn't be substantiated or weren't significant in the context of modern health care. That's my interpretation of the the findings that were made uh, when the uh, complementary therapies were investigated. By the way, not all complementary therapies... um, if you like, lost the rebate, Uh, massage therapists, uh, nutritionists, uh, and some others were considered uh, to be worthy of being left in the system, if you like, and I welcome that. I welcome that. Uh, I'm disappointed that herbalists and naturopaths have missed out, but I'm more concerned, as I've already said, about what seems to me to be the, the, the reasons for taking the rebate away from complementary therapists, particularly herbalists and naturopaths. And I come back to the point that it seems to me, and I could be wrong, but it seems to me there is the insinuation in the decision and the findings that what uh, people like myself have been doing for 40 years is in fact invalid. 
that troubles me because um, I have watched the transit of complementary medicine over 40 years and I've seen the incredible advances in professionalism, uh, particularly in naturopathy and herbal medicine. I have seen the, the basis for the practice of herbal medicine and naturopathy expanded dramatically. And even on this program, we have frequently mentioned uh, some of the literature, the modern literature that, um, that uh, is available now that substantiates the modern, increasingly scientific way in which herbal medicine and naturopathic medicine are practiced. It seems to me that that was not taken into account. I say it seems to me. I have to be cautious because I'm not being directly critical. Uh, I'm just saying it seems to me that a lot of this information, this development in professionalism, the acceptance of naturopathic medicine and herbal medicine by the public, that that has been seemingly uh, seen to be not that important. That worries me. This loss of the rebate will have no effect on the ongoing uh, role of naturopaths and medical herbalists in our society. Not one bit, in my opinion. What I'm more concerned about is fighting uh, to fight the good battle, which I've fought for 40 years, to substantiate my claim that professionalism has dominated. These two modalities particularly are credible and should be looked at more seriously and, in my opinion, didn't warrant being relegated to the sideline and seen to be not worthy of the rebate. And uh, we'll probably touch on that a little Mm. bit down the track too. And Fred has rung up. He's from Lake Munmora. And he wanted to know about cherry juice, Mm. Dennis. Well, cherry juice is one of those things that I have mentioned even on this program very, very frequently because uh, seemingly novel, as it might sound, Uh, Cherry juice has been shown to be uh, an effective agent to lessen the level of uric acid in the system. Now, I preface my remarks by saying there's nothing unusual in the association of certain foods with therapeutic benefits. In fact, going through my library recently and trying to rationalise it, I came across a text written by the French medical practitioner, Dr Jean Valnet, and it is called Organic Garden Medicine. And in that book, what he essentially does is go through foods that we all eat and look at their constituents and look at their potential therapeutic benefits, uh, some of which are already being harnessed in medicine. So when we look at cherry juice as having a therapeutic benefit, it shouldn't be seen as something that is unusual. Remember the, the great statement that the great the, the Greek philosopher said many, many years ago that food is our best medicine. Pity we didn't learn that. Food is our best medicine. And cherry juice is a remarkable agent when it is taken regularly, when it is taken regularly, ongoingly, uh, in a medicinal way, on a daily basis, to help lower uric acid. And it is uric acid which is behind the wretched condition known as gout. I've only ever had gout twice in my life and I don't want it again, I can assure you. Um, And one way of addressing the factor behind gout that is seeking to lessen the elevation of uric acid to the point where it causes the extreme swelling and pain and redness around particular uh, joints is to become interested in the idea 
that the regular use of cherry in any form, but the literature suggests the equivalent of about 250 grams of cherries per day. Now, that's not always available, although it might be the ideal way. So one can harness the benefits of cherries, both in their original form or uh, cherries that have been uh, preserved. We can go to our supermarkets and shops and get uh, cherries in, 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 in bottles that have been preserved, basically uh, the old-fashioned way of preserving fruits, as our grandparents used to do. Well, cherries in that form are also valid. And interestingly, cherry juice, to come to the question that was raised, cherry juice, particularly concentrated cherry juice, has long, long been used as a way of harnessing the therapeutic benefits of cherries. So for those out there that um, are concerned about their periodic rises in, uh, in uric acid, uh, who may or may not be on the well-known drug for treating it, who might be interested in seeing if they can, in fact, lessen their dependence on the, uh, the drug that's used, using cherries on a regular basis as regular medicine is a good way of working with your GP or your health practitioner in getting your uric acid levels down. Now, again, I say to listeners, don't just take what I have said uh, at face value. What I have said is true, but with the information that's available now on the internet, uh, on Google, you will find that what I have said is reiterated and emphasised even with examples of those that have tried using that approach. Yes, cherry juice, cherry extract, cherry juice in a concentrated form available from our good health food stores in the Hunter is a way of seeking to address uh, gouty conditions. Now, just as an mm, aside mm, to mm. that, if you're looking at uh, dried cherries, yes, for example, yes, which are available yes, as yes. well, is there any difference in the effect of um, ordinary cherries or sour cherries, for example? Uh, no. Look, ke- the chemistry at the end of the day would be the same. Now, th- this needs to be emphasised that at a time when seemingly uh, some government departments are making decisions about what we do on the grounds that they're not scientific, let me emphasise that the science associated with the investigation of constituents in foods and herbs is so well advanced that in the case, say, of cherries, we know the active principles. They are a group of substances um, called anthocyanidins and they have anti-inflammatory characteristics, amongst other things. So it really wouldn't matter. It really wouldn't matter in my opinion, what form of cherry you were using, if it is the edible cherry that is so popularly used, it would contain the fundamental chemical constituent. This is what we call phytochemistry, the explanation of food benefits, of herbal benefits, based on known active constituents. So it doesn't matter what form you take, what brand they are. Ideally, well, in my opinion, fresh Fresh is always better, but um, it's not always uh, capable of being harnessed. So this is why uh, more sophisticated preparations, and I know the cherry juice preparations, and I know many people that use them. Um, They all do the same thing, in my opinion. Excellent. Hello, Gary. Hi, Dennis. Um, Love your show. Thank you. Um, Your wealth of knowledge astounds me. Um, 
But what I'm sort of situation is I've just recently come off antidepressants. Yes. And I know it's not a do not stop immediately. Yes. I've yes. weaned myself off them. Good, good. Um, but the, the situation is I have noticed the things that it had helped with. And up here, um, depression is rife. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with drought and farming oh, and, course, and things course. like that. Um, we're loving the rain at the moment. Oh, but, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the situation with mm. depression, I mean, I'm no medical practitioner, yes. but um, I, I do believe a large percentage of it is lifestyle and so forth, um, your your situation. Now, I work for myself and... And I know for a fact that I just can't get up tomorrow and change my lifestyle and yes. the way things are. Yes. Um, is there anything or any something that you would suggest to take, um, I suppose, as a de-stressing agent? Okay. Um, I've found that coming off them, I never used... I wasn't stressing about issues and problems. And I mean, I work for myself, so problem solving is a big thing of my day. Yes. And I've found that that stress factors back. Okay. It does not take long to get that channel okay. open and okay. tuned in yes. and start stressing about things. Yes. And I think that's, I, I don't know, is there something that we that you could recommend okay. that we could take on a daily basis to okay. maybe help curve that? Okay. Gary, the first thing I would say is any level of depression uh, needs to be taken seriously and any level of depression needs to be under medical monitoring. So it, you have been on a prescribed medication and I presume uh, in your coming down from that medication, your good GP has been monitoring you and giving you the nod to do so. Um, if, if that is the case, and I suspect it is, uh, because most GPs uh, don't want to see their patients uh, on antidepressants indefinitely, the role of a GP, like that of most health practitioners, is to get their patients better whenever possible. Having said that... There are some people that are so chronically depressed that being on a conventional antidepressant is pretty well a necessity, and I'm not in any way at all opposed to that. However, um, I do believe, I do believe, particularly if people are off antidepressants and are starting to experience, if you like, just hints that uh, they're not going as well as they would like, they should discuss with their GP the monitored use. Now, I say the monitored use of two natural drugs, which I have used and studied and frequently recommended, and I say this seriously, they should only be used in managing even early depressional states under a medical practitioner's guidance. But the two herbs, in conjunction with each other, are readily available. They would be available even from your pharmacy. One of them is the herb most popularly used in the South Pacific, known as uh, Piper methysticum. That's its botanical name. Its common name is kava. Now, kava, uh, believe it or not, has a profound chemistry which is well-known and used to address three primary conditions of which depression is one of them. There are varying dosages for depression, anxiety and insomnia. So there is a lot of work having been done on kava, the only area where it might be contraindicated is in people that are heavy uh, drinkers or who have uh, a diagnosed liver condition 
that is not that common. And remember, if you go to Fiji, that probably everyone in, the, in, the, in that place lives and, and breathes and, and, and drinks a lot of kava, and there's not a lot of evidence that it's doing much damage. But it is an effective agent in the right dosage, and your GP or yourself could uh, Google that, and if you were to mention it to your GP, uh, I'd be surprised if there was any reluctance to monitor your usage of it because, again, the documented evidence for its chemistry and its potential benefits are there. But it should also be taken, and I always recommend it to be taken, in conjunction with the better-known European herb called Hypericum perfoliatum. And that um, herb known as Hypericum has, again, got a good documented evidence base for early depressional states. The, the great German uh, phytotherapist and medical practitioner, Dr. Rudolf Weiss, whose literature I, I, um, I have great regard for, he referred to Hypericum as a mood stabiliser, inducing a degree of euphoria. That herb is better known. It needs to be used cautiously uh, because if you are working out in the sun, you have to be a little bit cautious about um, the effect of too much sunlight uh, on the skin when you're taking significant doses of hypericin. I've never seen that particular side effect, but it's written up. Those two herbs I would see as potentially useful in your case to stop the drift towards a deeper level of depression. Uh, but again, I say, I would only be happy if you were to do that, if you were to discuss it with your GP, who has been your prime carer and should be respected in going on to this. Okay. All right. So the carver in big doses will hurt you when you fall over. Uh, yeah, and you've had too much. <laughs> you'd, yeah? you'd have to take a heap of it, put it that way. All right. And okay. We, All right. we use it in a pharmaceutical form that is a, yep. ta- a tableted form uh, with a standardised dose and that it's why, that's why it is available in that form from, okay. from, from your pharmacy. Um, right. You'd have a good pharmacy up there. Um, yep. You wouldn't have any trouble getting these. Um, both of them? Both, both, both of them. I would be, if, if I was in your situation, that's what I'd be looking at. Uh, okay. I'd be surprised if you didn't get a benefit. Uh, I come back Are to they- the point. Are they in both capsule and liquid form, or um, they, is it... they, usually these preparations are in tableted or encapsulated forms because in that way it is easier to get a guaranteed concentration of the active chemistry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Um, Pleasure. I think you've answered my question. Okay. Um, all all uh, the best with it. Thank all the best okay, with it. Thank... But but the rain might have a mood elevating effect. <laughs> Yes, yes, it is. It, it does, actually. I'm sitting here while it's sprinkling now. So. That's great, isn't it? Not Excellent. in a rush to get out of it. Ah, good on All you. Right. Lovely. Thank you. All the best, Thank Gary. You. Thanks for your call. Anne's rung in from Charlestown. Anne, uh, your question's about topical steroid withdrawal. Um, my daughter is suffering from topical steroid withdrawal. Mm. I just wondered what your thoughts were on okay. She's, she's been, what, using cortisone and things like that yeah, on the skin? Yeah, she had she? eczema as a little child okay. and was prescribed cortisone yeah. for just behind her knees and mm-hmm. her elbows and progressively got worse as mm-hmm. she grew older and they prescribed more and more and now, of course, it doesn't work at all and she's going through the, the withdrawals okay. from it. Is your daughter receiving 
any oral medication? Uh, for, nothing, nothing. Nothing She's at all? She's trying to do it all uh, how, on old, her own. how old is your daughter? Uh, 33. Okay. Is she under a dermatologist or just a GP? No, she has been to them, but they just want to prescribe more steroids. So. Okay. okay. Look, what I would be doing here um, in, in this situation is two things. Uh, first of all... A lot of work has been done on the active chemical constituents of the herb licorice. Okay. Now, we, we, uh, we started today talking about what I consider to be the assault on herbal medicine uh, coming from certain uh, agencies, and, and I was saying that that's sad because herbal medicine is increasingly understood by virtue of what we call phytochemistry, that is, the understanding of how the herb works and what it is in the herb. And here we have the herb licorice, which is so well defined uh, that we know that it contains a substance called glycorrhizin, also known as glycorotinic acid. And that agent has steroidal characteristics. It is not um, hydrocortisone. And there is nothing in the literature that suggests it has the topical side effects that a chronic long-term use of hydrocortisone or other similar steroid substances might have. And preparations are in the literature which have led to the development of preparations known as the GA creams. Now, you've probably heard me talk about the GA cream on this program. I pride myself on the fact that uh, I reintroduced them uh, back into dermatology in this country many, many years ago and led to the development of what's called the GA cream, uh, which is a cream that looks like cortisone, um, smells like it, acts to a degree like it, and it's particularly useful in addressing what I refer to as the uh, subacute or chronic level of, of atopic conditions such as eczema. So my first response, where do you live, by the way? Charleston. Uh, you'd have no problem getting hold of the GA cream from a compounding pharmacy. Okay. Um, or if you can't uh, do that, you can always ring my rooms and I can point you to where you can get it. Now, I know that has worked and I've written a number of papers on it, which you're welcome to have free of charge to read, which will confirm what I have been saying. So that is one option that, in my opinion, should be utilised, either the GA cream or the GA compound cream, which contains a small amount of juniper tar. Now the other thing is, despite the fact that your daughter has had this condition for quite some time, I would not be happy if um, she wasn't using some oral medication. And there are a number of herbs which are very, very reputable, well documented for chronic eczema condition. Uh, okay. I, have, I have referred to the text this morning written by Dr. Weiss. And in that book, the English translation of his book entitled Herbal Medicine, the herb viola tricolor is referred to as being a mainstream, reliable remedy popularly used in German phytotherapy, that's herbal medicine, mm. and viola tricolor is also known as heartsease. Now, it is a herb that is not that easy to get, but any herbalist or any compounding pharmacy that has a herbal dispensary is likely to have viola tricolor and I, if I was in your daughter's situation, 
I'd be wanting to reinforce any topical management uh, with the use of the herb viola tricolour, perhaps reinforced uh, by other similar herbs. I usually prescribe it in conjunction with stinging nettle and the herb clivers and the herb burdock in a compound formula, which has helped many patients over the years. What was the last one? I'm sorry, Dennis. Uh, burdock, burdock. Burdock. Okay. Um, so I would be more happy if she were to use oral medication to support her attempt to mm-hmm. overcome the the, uh, the resistance that her skin now has mm. to more steroid preparations. And look, she must, uh, in my opinion, begin to use bioflavonoids. Bioflavonoids, uh, one of them in particular called quercetin, has a very, very good reputation again to address a lot of the, uh, how can you call it, a lot of the physiological factors and immunological factors that are associated with atopic conditions. I recommend to all my patients with eczema, dermatitis, that they go on to uh, bioflavonoids that have significant levels of quercetin. And to finalise it, don't overlook a chronic ongoing use of very significant elevated dosages of oil of evening primrose. Now, I would be most surprised if with your daughter's perseverance over quite a few months, she wasn't to see some improvement in a situation. Okay. All the, but the, yes. the GA creams. Yes, um, okay. and if you can't get information, ring mm. the rooms. I'll send you the, the articles free of charge, which you can okay. read up on. All the very best for your daughter with that, Anne. This is Health Naturally, and uh, the book that you just mentioned then is the book that uh, has... All that information on it. Look, remarkable work. The original name of the book was Organic Garden Medicine by the French uh, doctor, doctor... Well, on the text it's written Jean Valnet. I presume you're better than this than what I am. I presume, presume it's Jean Valdez. Uh, but um, it's, that was the original name. It's also available under the name of Healing Yourself with Fruits, Grains and Vegetables. I'm sure you could get the text probably from Amazon or Book Depot uh, or a good second-hand bookshop, uh, Lorelei in New, in New Lambton. Hunts a lot of stuff for me. Uh, excellent little uh, bookstore which sources a lot of these things that I mention. If you have trouble, contact me. We'll get it for you. For any listener that's interested in what you can do with food, this is a gem, and I lectured uh, from it for many years when I taught a course called Food Therapy. Health Naturally and Dennis Stewart and taking your calls. Bob's rung in from Clarence Town. Now, Bob, dry eyes is what you want to discuss with Dennis. Yes, that's correct. Uh, Hello, Bob. How are you, Dennis? Good, good. Tell me something I about just came your condition. In, yeah, last week you were. Mm. I came in on the end of you talking about dry eyes. Yes. Pat, and you mentioned fish oil and yes. uh, flaxseed. Flaxseed oil. oil. That's correct. And I was just after what sort of dosage. You said a high dosage. Okay. I've said this before on this program. Those two supplements I recommend a lot for the various indications that they're used for. But unfortunately... Uh, in my opinion, most people that use these oils don't use them at an adequate dosage level. For instance, um, if one is using uh, fish oils as an attempt to address rheumatoid arthritis, for which there's a fair amount of evidence to support its use there, you're unlikely to get much benefit 
from the fish oil unless you're using a dosage between six to nine grams. Now, for, for, fortunately, uh, fish oil capsules are very, very economical these days. So that might sound uh, a lot of uh, medication to be taking, but they usually come in about a thousand milligram dosage. Yes, um, I actually bought some yesterday. Okay. Now, the interesting thing is that uh, fish oil and flaxseed oil share a, a reasonably common chemistry and can be used seemingly interchangeably. Now, it was very, very interesting and exciting for me. Was it this week? It wasn't this week. It was not yesterday, but a week earlier, on a Thursday, I consult on Thursday, when a lady presented for another condition, but in so doing mentioned that she had resolved, categorically resolved, her dry, dry eye condition, which had existed for quite some time, by taking elevated dosages of flaxseed oil. So, uh, in fact, uh, when I saw this question came up on the board, I mentioned this case to, to dear Jane here, that um, uh, despite the cynicism that might be directed uh, at this, the common... Well, not common, but the I think the general medical attitude is that apart from a palliative therapy using uh, drops, etc., in the eyes, there's not much you can do for it. Well, here again, I see over and over again many people with dry eye conditions, not all, not all, but I see many, many people who have used either fish oil or flaxseed oil claim that they have had significant relief from the benefits of using either one of these two preparations. Uh, so stick with those elevated dosages. I, uh, if you were to ring my rooms, I could give you exactly the dosage for flaxseed oil, but I would suspect that it would be pretty close to the dosages of the fish oil. Which and, is nine grams. Yeah, and you'd have to work towards that. But again, that's, that, that's for the fish oil. I can't swear that with flaxseed oil... It's exactly the same, but I'd be surprised if it wasn't close to it. Yeah, so I should go on to it gradually. Oh, look, it's, uh, fortunately, there's no toxicity with these preparations, although I come back to the point that anything used in an abusive way uh, can uh, cause some side effects. But right. those dosages, six to nine grams, wouldn't be in the literature if it was considered that they were dangerous dosages and there's, there is no overt... Uh, toxicity, as far as I'm aware, in, in, in the fish oil chemistry. So I'd just gradually move up to it. You might find that you might be a little bit looser uh, as far as bowel function is concerned, but I've not even seen a lot of that. Uh, start off, I would suggest, just a suggestion, I'd say six grams and uh, move up a bit. Now, remember, if you're going to use these things, please don't expect uh, a great overwhelming result within a week, a couple of weeks, these things are not drugs. They're subtle nutritional agents which will only assert themselves over a period of time. Yeah, so we're looking at months or something like that. Oh, I would think so, but look again. One always uh, looks back at patients that has had uh, dramatic effects that contradicts what I've said about a slow, quiet uh, benefit. But I'd certainly... But remember, with the fish oil, it is not just useful for this dry eye condition it's a remarkable agent, as I've said, when persevered with as a supportive remedy in rheumatoid arthritis. And also it has some uh, reflection of benefit 
on your blood profile, particularly your lipid profile, your cholesterol level, etc. Okay, thanks very much for that. Thank you. And thank you, Bob, and all the very best. Now, we still have a couple of minutes left, Mm. and uh, why don't we just return to what you were saying, the role of the valuable role that medicine can play. I, I believe, and I've always said this on this program, I believe, and I'd say this to those uh, people that have uh, relegated us, if you like, I see complementary medicine, particularly herbal medicine, playing a role in what's called preventative medicine and as a treatment possibility for addressing chronic disease conditions. Now, can I justify this? Yes. Let me give you an example of the way in which herbal medicine, when understood, can work preventatively. Anyone that uh, is uh, in the throes of experiencing recurring herpes infections uh, will know that this is an embarrassing and wretched condition uh, which periodically asserts itself in times of stress. I have found that the recurrence of herpes simplex can in fact be lessened in most cases by the use of herbs, particularly herbs with what I consider to be antiviral characteristics. And my work with the Astragalus 8 formula in people that had experienced the Epstein-Barr virus and the benefit that it had in retrieving uh, patients from the symptoms of that led to my using it as chronic medication to break through recurring herpes. And I have on my books numerous patients who will vouch for the effect that using herbal medicine did more than anything in the mainstream to lessen their incidence of that. We could also look at the way in which herbal medicine uh, works not only preventatively, but in addressing chronic disease. And in addressing chronic disease, say something like bronchiectasis, a chronic condition of the lung, heavily dependent on periodic antibiotics and steroid medication. My experience over many years has seen that using herbs, antimicrobial herbs, antitusive herbs, expectorant remedies and lung tonics has led to a situation where using herbs has lessened the dependence of quite a few patients with bronchiectasis on the mainstream medication. There's a role for modern herbal medicine. And thank you very much for Health Mm. Naturally today, Dennis Stewart. We look forward to more next week, next Friday, after the midday news on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.